We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranger's Nick Basketball. And Tim, last night the Lakers beat the New Orleans Pelicans by 44 points on their way to the first in-season tournament final. But now, since the Lakers are in it, it's rigged. It's all, you know, rigged for the Lakers. This is a dumb idea. I hate it. And, uh, yeah, how, how are you doing tonight after uh, dealing with this tragic loss in your life? Yeah, no, it's, it wasn't rigged. We, we thankfully didn't win by, like, free throw disparity or anything. Just absolutely beat the hell out of the Pelicans. And I had a blast watching it. I went, it, it was such a good game that the same day that night I went through and I logged all the film because I just had that kind of energy late, late at night. And uh, from that film, I saw that the Lakers put up in the second and third quarters, two of their three best quarters on the entire season in terms of generating high quality shots in half court situations. So LA, you know, peaking at the right time, right before, uh, you know, this big final matchup against Indiana. Yeah, we're going to go through a little preview of Indiana. First, I want to kind of talk a little bit about the in-season tournament road that they've had, at least the last few games since we've seen Vanderbilt come back. We've you know seen the team get healthier around that as well, and just kind of you know give some quick thoughts about what we've seen in the last week or so. So before we get into that Pacers preview, Tim, uh, we, we saw the Lakers beat the Suns as well in a very close game, marred by controversy. But regardless of that, I still think we saw a lot of improvement and a new style and the Lakers finding their identity with Jared Vanderbilt, uh, Cam Reddish on the wing, Torian Prince still guarding difficult matchups, but having the back line and physicality around him to help better and not just leave him on an island. But I'm curious what you saw from that Suns game going back a couple of days and what you've seen overall from Jared Vanderbilt um, since his return. 
Yeah, it's it's been great to have him back. He is a strong defender. It was good to have him as an option against Kevin Durant and and, and Booker and others. Um, he is a strong individual defender. He has helped from a rebounding standpoint, defensively, offensively. We have seen him kind of go up and down a little bit. I'm, I'm looking for a little bit more sustained pressure on the offensive glass, but one opportunity his first game, then seven opportunities his second game, and then two opportunities last game in terms of offensive rebound chances. When defenses are leaving him alone, he's got to make him pay by, by crashing the glass. If your guy's leaving you alone, that means that they're not going to be there to box you out. And we saw that the second of the three games he's played so far really, really took advantage of that and helped give the Lakers a lot of second chance opportunities, which and that, and that was a big theme of the game against Phoenix was you shot about as poorly as you could possibly shoot. This was one of, this was like the worst Lakers shooting efficiency game in on the season and would have been second worst last season. This is not their norm. This is well, well below the standard and you're supposed to lose those games. Like when you just don't have it, you're missing shots. You're supposed to lose, but the Lakers had such an edge from a turnover standpoint and you know free throw standpoint and, a rebounding standpoint that they were able to overcome what is usually insurmountable. And I, you, you brought up the stat last night on the stream. It was like teams are like, they were like, Oh, and 400 or something like that in those situations. They're now, now they're, they're now one and 600. I was just looking for that. It's funny. You bring it up. Um, they're one and 699 when being outshot by outshot by 15% effective field goal percentage. Crazy. Just absolutely like they won a game they should not have been able to win. And Jared Vanderbilt was part of that from a rebounding standpoint. He was part of that from a disruption standpoint. The Lakers are seventh in deflections per game in December so far in the three games that we've had those guys back. And his on-ball defense has been great. I think we've seen him use more as like a wing stopper and less POA thus far. But I'm I'm liking what I'm seeing defensively. And then offensively from a spacing standpoint, it was, you know, we know that's a weakness of his. It's something we should keep an eye on because last year it was problematic and hopefully the team has learned from that and they will find ways to, you know, counteract his man trying to leave him alone through the first two games he's played his guy. When, when, when uh, Vando has spaced out to the perimeter, his man has left him alone to go disrupt other actions. 50%. It was a little bit over 50% each of those first two games. And this is beyond normal, like shell defense, help defensive rotations. This was, this was extra. This was too much. And as a result of that, the Lakers were only getting to the rim about like 20% of their shots when he was on the court. And that's bad. But this last game, he, uh, it was only 40%. He was being, it was under 40%. He was being left alone. We saw him counter much more. He was cutting, he was screening. He was doing, you know, pin and flare screens. If he caught the ball, he was running into like dribble pitches. So Ellie's trying to use some of those concepts that should help here. And we saw him left alone less as a result of that. And then we also saw the team's rim frequency just about double in the half court when he's on, on the court. So there are some signs of life there that, you know, make me still open to the idea of putting him in, you know, a starting lineup or, or other lineups that have more AD and LeBron time, which if you're not doing a good job of countering him being left alone, you, you, you know, you really muck up the offense in those lineups. And those aren't the ones that you want to help like hold down. Like it's okay to win a rock fight with a bench group, but the starting lineup plays the most of any lineup you play. And it's such yeah. a big portion of LeBron and AD's minutes that you need that group to be able to be like 
your your superstar offensive output group. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of you know improvement there. Victorian Prince's shot starting to fall. I think it's several layers. Um, that the Lakers, even though they had some rough shots at the rim, you know Anthony Davis hasn't been making quite as many as some of those bunnies, but he's still getting them and he's still getting there. And yeah, for a team that does shoot a lot of free throws compared to a lot of the league, it's because they get to the rim that they're so aggressive that you know this isn't a a team that shoots 53s a game. They're it's like 29 or something attempts per game. That's their identity, and that's what gets you more free throws, being aggressive. And we're seeing that discrepancy be validated by this Lakers team playing physical, getting to the rim. We've seen a lot of their sets kind of help them get there, and and the spacing is, you know, it's it's there enough. But I'm still still have concerns long term with Vando playing so much next to AD. But you know, it's worked so far in at least the few games we've seen. Yeah, I, I would say we're seeing signs of life. I'm not happy where, with where it is. Like, we have not reached the finish line. You have not checked the box as the team, but they've demonstrated to us that they understand that there's a problem and they're trying to address it. So it's it's just kind of like with the scheme. Like, it's not fully built out right now, but we're, with where we are in the season, we're seeing the right things. Um, with, you know, Vando three games in, we're seeing some of the right things. Now it's going to turn into like how frequently are you able to leverage him in in those smart concepts versus just having him like stand still. And you know, with some of the offensive concerns have have also come the, the defensive strength. Like he's already 11th in the NBA in matchup difficulty. He, he's almost caught up to Torian Prince, who's ninth. He's he's just behind Ben Simmons. He uh, he's he's you know immediately going out there. He's looking good from a movement standpoint. He's fared well you know, staying around on ball. And, you know, this is what we've been missing. It's been great to see. And interestingly, we haven't seen him accrue a lot of deflections, but we've seen just the aggregate length between adding him into the mix, having Reddish back, having Vando back, uh, like all of these different bigger bodies out there together, pressuring the ball. I think we're seeing a lot of other guys get deflections as a result of it. Like Torian Prince has a bunch. Austin Reese has a bunch. LeBron's got a bunch. AD's got a bunch. Some of it is because of their length. Some of it is because of the length of other players like a Jared Vanderbilt who are, you know, just in guys' faces. They can't see the floor perfectly or they're trying to, you know, pass around his arms and that makes their passes more vulnerable. So we've seen a good, from a team standpoint, both the guys who are producing and the guys who aren't producing with deflections. I think there's definitely some synergy happening happening there and it's getting back to what we were talking about earlier in the year. When the team was healthier, I know Vando wasn't playing, but the team was healthier and they were super disruptive. And then once they got more injured, it dropped. And now that they're healthier again, we're seeing it again. And, you know, that's encouraging to me. I don't think this is just a blip. I think this can be part of the identity of this defense is is being disruptive, making you uncomfortable and taking you out of what you want to do, which is, you know, really encouraging for me. Yeah. I mean, Vando helps too. I think, Tim, it it, it goes it shouldn't be overlooked that this game has slightly adjusted there as well. I don't see them playing as much deep drop mm-hmm. up to meet the ball a lot more often that I think fits a lot more of these lineups. And, you know, we're already kind of talking about Vando and what we've seen. We'll we'll get to the Pacers kind of preview here in a sec, but as, as we go into investigate this, you know, why the Lakers have been good. It's not only that Jared Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura came back and, 
they have more of that size. Of course, that's helping, but that's allowing them to play in a way, like meeting that ball up. Uh, we've definitely seen a level of intensity go up, I think, as well with some of these in-season tournament games. I think that mm-hmm. can't be overlooked as well. But only a few, yep. you know, a week or so into the into December, we've seen them more, lean more into that physical closing out uh, the screen angles, and you know, when when those guys come off that screen and there's ten seconds left, and then there's seven seconds left, you're more able to jump those passing lanes on those weak sides when they try to reverse it and try to get something going. Versus, you know, jacking up a contested shot that that's a lot more difficult to, you know, pull off as a defense. And I I think these guys are more aggressive in those passing lanes as of late and having that length and size to force that extra foot, you know, angle of them sitting on that pass because you have to get it over the head. You have to get over their arms. So I think it's a lot of little things that are kind of coming together. But having the size, being able to utilize like an Austin Reeves, Jared Vanderbilt, LeBron James, Rui Hachimura, AD lineup, like that's ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. you know, positions two through five is all like six, eight guys. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been a theme now with, with the lineups that Vando's playing in off the bench. His most used lineup, Reeves, Christie, Vando, Rui, AD. You've got good length there. You've got some guys who are similarly sized. It's easy to switch. If you were hedging and, you need rotations behind the hedge. You've got bigger bodies able to go be a secondary rim protector. Go tag a roll, man. You mentioned the second most used lineup, Reeves, Vando, Braun, Rui, AD. The third most used lineup is Reeves, Reddish, Vando, Braun, Wood. Like the Lakers are running out a lot of lineups these days that have a lot of wingish sized players. They still have enough ball handling. They're trying to do what they can from a shooting perspective, but the, you know, the disruption defensively is helping get you out into transition and get some easy buckets and just make life really difficult for those opposing teams. And I think, again, the underrated part of this, being able to roll out Torian Prince in that starting lineup, give you a little bit more shooting. He's been shooting the ball quite well lately, pushing his you know, overall season percentage up, up over 35%. Being able to put him in and put him next to Cam Reddish, who has continued to keep playing without fouling which i think is really important for him to be able to have 48 minutes of cam and vando kind of combined and then while still having a guy like prince who you know we've been critical of the role he's been forced into kind of being above maybe his capabilities as a defender he's still doing fairly well he's still getting deflections and they're waiting on that swing you know um on the pop the guy on the wing there's a, a pop angle, a guy on the wing pinches down. He's been getting a lot of deflections out of kind of actions like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been important to have him out there. And I, I kind of still think he's being underrated and, and maybe he's still guarding too much. You know, he like the other night he was on uh he was on Brandon Ingram, he gives up a lot of signs, but he did a damn good job on him. And I yep. still think he's he's a big important piece of this as a guy who can play pretty decent defense and and shoot the ball. Yeah. He's continuing to receive criticism by segments of the fan base. And I, I think at this point, if you're thinking Prince needs to be benched, like I, I think you've lost the plot. I think you're, you're not updating your priors or you're not updating from what you anchored to early in the season. He's playing well. He's playing well offensively attacking closeouts, making passes. He's hitting his threes. 
defensively, he's also playing really well. Like uh, he continues to box out well and help the team on that side. Like you have to acknowledge that the Lakers are a better rebounding team when he's out there, even if he himself is not putting up those, those, you know, counting stats in the box score. He is doing a good job on ball, continuing to be put into tough matchups. But as I mentioned, I think it was on a bonus pod or one of the streams recently, like looking at the advanced tracking data, he's done a really nice job among Lakers players defending both isolation situations and driving situations when it comes to lowering the, the player he's guarding shot, like, you know, effectiveness. So it's been good to see. It's surprised me. It's not really part of the scouting report. And so, you know, they, I had to update my priors as well, but as long as he's, you know, doing well with that, I, I see no reason to try to take him out of there. And as we see the scheme continue to build out and probably him get more off screen looks like that should just raise his offensive impact as well. So he's been a nice bounce back story for the team. I know everybody goes through their different shooting slumps. He had his early, he's gotten through it. He shot 41% over the last 10 games. And as you mentioned, up to, I believe, 36 point something percent on the season. So he's, you know, right about where he should be. Like, this is this is what shooters are like. They go up, they go down. This is normal. This happens. And most nights, he's been a good shooter. So that's been good to see. And I think in general, too, like the Cam Reddish part of that starting lineup has been strong. He has yeah. surprised me. He... Yeah. Same. Came in, you know, we came into the season. He's a good uh, defensive playmaker, but we have questions about the on-ball defense. We have questions about the screen navigation. We have questions about the rotating. Offensively, we have questions about the spacing. And he's stepped up to the plate. He's performed well, and he's gotten better as the season has gone on because he didn't start game one or game two this way. He has impressed me, and I think he's kind of earned that opportunity, and he's making the most of it. And he's another guy that's taking on really tough matchups. So he's done well and we've seen recently over the past two games the team has played the shot quality generated by the starting lineup has taken a significant jump from what it had been and it was operating at a level where like i get that defensively this makes sense but offensively cam reddish is hurting us compared to alternatives and the lineup isn't generating good shots and i don't see this as sustainable that has changed and we've seen the team adjust some of some of how they've operated the offense here and there. And it's been a good fit for that grouping. And it, you know, has me looking at this, this lineup, you know, with in, in a new light and has me feeling better about like moving forward. Cause I don't know, I, in looking at the fifth starter options with who's healthy, I, I'm, you know, more in the camp of like, we don't have a good fifth starter. We need to figure that out either by getting, you know, gave Vincent back and maybe he's that guy, or you need to go make a trade to find that guy. But right now, Cam Reddish is making his case and, and he's done a good job with it. I agree. And uh, I think Cam and Max both had similar issues at the beginning of the season, playing physical defense, using their physical tools without fouling. And I still see that from Max. He's still getting those veteran fouls or, you know, the veterans are getting fouls on him. I should say in bumps, like overplays, you know, reaches, Cam has done better. He still has his moments, but he's more physical in the imposing physical presence. Uh, I think Cam or Max, excuse me, I mentioned before against a guy like Donovan Mitchell. Although Cam did really well against CJ McCollum, not the same mm-hmm. type of player, but you know, physically maybe uh, Donovan Mitchell's more uh, you know agility focused than than CJ at this point in his career. 
But Cam being able to keep up with somebody like that, to defend out to the three-point line, and to you know just play denial on them and, and navigate through screens and help guys off-ball, which is really helpful. Plays that you don't even see, he's able to, you know, uh, off screens, he's able to stagger, help off, and then still chase the guy around. Now, every once in a while, it doesn't go the way you want, but Cam has definitely surprised me. And as much as I love Max, much to the chagrin of many Laker fans, he's, I think, the reason why Max isn't getting a bigger shot right now. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And Max has flashed what we want to see from him, but the consistency for him is where he has opportunity to improve. He's going to get more chances this season as the year goes on. There will be injuries. There will be guys going through up and down stretches, but he you know, showed us a little bit. He's got to keep getting a little better. And I think the, you know, what the idea of what he can be is, is very helpful for this team. And it's, it's good that you have that as an option. I think he should continue getting rotation minutes, but as of right now, I'm, I'm aligned with, with Cam Reddish continuing to start. And I think part of what has helped is I'm looking, I'm sharing on the screen right now, looking at the, the percentage of the time game by game, the team has run different alignments. So five out, it's here in the green horns is here in the gray. And we've seen that go from just a little, little bit of things to being much bigger recently, 23% of the offense, two games ago, 8% last game, 16%, a handful of games before that earlier in the year, it was like five, 8%. So th- they're getting more of that. And then the four out one in has also increased recently. It's still only, you know, 20 ish percent of what the Lakers are doing but they're getting two good looks out of those setups that I think put guys like Vando, put guys like uh, Reddish in good situations to the point that you're not as worried about their, their spacing. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. 
Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. So really quick, I guess to close out, you know, Vando, welcome addition back to the lineup. He looks right. Um, We haven't seen a lot of three-point attempts at all from him. It's, you know, he's not affecting the game in that way. He's doing more, you know, screening and uh, off ball or just standing in the corner and crashing the glass, which has helped the Lakers, you know, has been a a poor offensive rebounding team kind of uh, snap back to where we expected them to be. Not, Not, you know, amazing, but they're getting better and he's helping in, in several ways on defense, uh, guarding guys like Booker, like you mentioned, the matchup difficulty, but his offensive deficiencies haven't quite hit yet. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I think there are like indirect impacts of it. Like we haven't seen as many plays that will really stand out in people's minds where he gets a kick out, he's wide open and then doesn't shoot the ball. Thankfully that hasn't happened, but there have been a lot of plays where his man is leaving him alone they are, you know, going and sending extra help on a teammate. And in the moment, you may not realize, oh, that's a Vando's guy way out of position. But we have seen that happen. So there, we've seen some of the negative impact with, with his lack of spacing, but it's been manageable so far. It's still at a level that I don't feel comfortable putting him in the starting lineup, but it's at a point where I'm perfectly comfortable playing him in the rotation and with with all he brings defensively, like all things considered, he's he's been a plus for the team. Yeah, we'll still have to keep an eye on that, what that looks like as he starts to get, you know, more time on the court. He's still, you know, not not playing like the levels he was last season and with the depth that the team has. Uh, that's going to keep happening, I think. So love to see them get healthy and what this team could look like with Gabe is uh, very intriguing to me. Uh, they mm-hmm. have a lot of difficult options here and can take their time with Gabe if they want to, you know, give him time to get right. Yep. Absolutely. He he has time. The depth of this team is showing up. And if this team didn't sign quality depth, they'd be in a much worse position right now. And you want to continue building and growing and get, getting better, building chemistry and all that. But your record at the end of the day is is the thing that sticks with you. And because of the quality depth, the Lakers have been able to still be the, the four seed in the West right now while playing a big portion of the year unhealthy, which is just a testament to the job that Rob Polinka in the front office did putting guys on the roster and a credit to the coaching staff and the players for putting the guys in positions to succeed and then them taking advantage and getting out there and executing. And, and we've seen, you know, in-season resurgences from various players like Max Christie, I'm showing on the screen right now, his scoring for the beginning portion of the year, he was below expectation, below this, this line He's recently surged a bit, and now he's been the Lakers' fifth best shot maker on the season in terms of shooting compared to the the shot quality. So just little things like that, like, hey, now he's not starting anymore, but he seems to be catching his stride. Torian Prince from three is now catching his stride. Like, Cam Reddish has improved and is doing well. D'Angelo Russell started the year off a little rough and then has skyrocketed in terms of his shot making and his playmaking has been positive. We saw, like, AD go through a stretch – where he wasn't shooting well because he was playing through injury. And now he's gotten a little bit better. This is a collective team effort. It's a team thing. You have to go through these 82 games. And so far, you know, credit to the team for, for putting themselves where they are right now. And 
putting themselves in position to compete for hopefully the first of two titles this year with this in-season tournament. Um, I know they're not going to hang the banner. I know this is just ah, this is a little thing for a prestigious franchise like the Los Angeles Lakers, but for these players, they're getting a big chunk of cash. I'm assuming the coaches do as well. Uh, as a fan, Tom, what is your, you know, how much will this title mean to you? Oh man, I, it being the first one ever, I think you know definitely, it definitely means something. Going in, I definitely wanted to win it for that reason, and uh, how, like I mentioned at the top, annoyed the rest of the league's fans will be if it's the Lakers who end up pulling it off, and we already see people trying to qualify it, and uh, Lakers played a bad schedule. Uh, yeah, you can only play the teams in front of you, but Lakers have looked amazing. They've been getting up for these games and i think the thing that stood out against the pelicans last night when we were on stream is the intensity that the game was being played with for the lakers lebron especially uh being able to put the you know foot to the to the floor or the pedal to the metal excuse me and and keep pushing that lead from 20 to 25 to 30 uh is it's not something we've quite seen yet from this team and granted them shooting 50 percent from three definitely helps too it's don't get me wrong. But you can see this team coming together at the right time for the in-season tournament. And I think the games have been super competitive. The Pelicans seemed to roll over pretty quickly last night. So I don't want to just say Lakers are fully in championship form just yet. I think they do still have a lot of questions to solve. But overall, it's really great to see the identity start to form around this team with the physicality and the rim pressure that they're able to put on. And even though AD is just a one level scorer right now, he's still, you know, one of the best defenders in the league, absolutely just tearing defenses apart. And, and it's not, it's the shots that they aren't even attempting that really stands out to me when you watch the games live and don't just, you know, chase defensive rating stats, whatever. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's nice that this is here as a, like the players and the, the team, the coaches, they're motivated to get into good form to win, like compete and win this early in the year because they have gotten better and, and there's some impetus for them to, you know, have the scheme to good plays, have guys playing well, be sharp, all of that in a way that, you know, even after tomorrow, we still got a lot of season left, but the team will be in great form at that point because they've been kind of ramping up for this. And I think that could benefit this Lakers team. You know, they, they've worked their way into playing into these competitive games. They haven't had the toughest schedule in the world in those games, uh, playing who they've played, but it has still kind of raised their bar. And hopefully that bar stays high throughout the rest of the season. I think that can help them win more regular season games down the line. But zooming out, it's, I want to very much push back on the idea that the Lakers haven't played a tough schedule. We we've gone through it. If you look again at that positive residual free app, looking at the NBA schedule, the Lakers have played the 10th toughest schedule so far in the league based on who they've played, where the games were and the rest piece of things and the travel piece. Like the Lakers have played tough games. They're 14 and nine right now. That's a 61% win percentage and 61% times 82 games is a 50 win pace like that that is good they're the four seed in the west and in games where the team has had fewer than four rotation players injured and they're also not on the second night of a back-to-back they're 11 and 2 so like this is a team that's playing well when healthy and rested 
and they're just getting better and better. And, you know, I, I, this is a good basketball team. We're, we're still learning just how good they can be, but they're already a top 10 defensive rating team. The offense is showing growth and continued growth. And now that they're healthy and now that certain guys aren't missing everything they're taking, even if it's a good shot, like I expect the offense to, to be clicking into to shape as well. And, you know, if both of those, those things happen, you're now a championship contender. Yeah. And I think, 18 of their games have been against teams 500 or better. Wow. And they're, they have nine wins against those teams tied for first with Boston, who is, you know, been widely considered this year to be the best team in the league and definitely favorites at coming out of the East. So I, th- I think the Lakers are totally on track. And, you know, we mentioned it before, like, look at Orlando. Lakers got a good win against Orlando. Yeah, they got, they got their butts kicked one time too, but Orlando's looking like a solid team and a possible, you know, top six team in the East. Um, so they have a couple games. They have a little baseball series in San Antonio coming up after, you know, in season tournament after the Dallas game. That'll help. Uh, they are, they are reeling, but that's eighteen games against teams. I think the Lakers are nine and nine against teams five hundred or better. And they played what twenty five games, twenty three games, forty four games. So this will be the twenty fourth. Yeah, like four games, five games against teams worse than five hundred. It's it is not only the quality of teams, the amount of games. We went through it all last pod. You should go listen to it. I think that it holds up, and I think (laughs) if anything, it was great that we potted when we did because we're seeing a lot of the things that we talked about then as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like we've been talking about the process and we've been saying, Hey, as soon as this team's healthy, as soon as the shot making gets a little bit more normal, this, this offense is going to pop off. And I do want to acknowledge the shot making last game was above the shot quality. Like you're, you're not shooting 58% or whatever it was from three on a regular basis, but the team was generating super high quality shots and they got the right guys out there on the court and they're knocking them down. And this is, I don't know the, the offense is in form right now to be a top 10 offense and the Lakers right now are playing like a top 10 team. So hopefully they can keep it going. They, in this game tomorrow, they're playing a Pacers team that, you know, interestingly, they've had the third easiest schedule in the NBA so far. They've had about the same win percentage as the Lakers, They're the sixth seed in the East. They've got the fifth toughest remaining schedule for the rest of the year. And they're a team that is very one-sided, a great offense and a very bad defense. So yeah, you know, heading into that one, you know, we've seen Tyrese Halliburton put up some heroics in their, you know, tough in-season tournament games. But this is a, this is a gettable one. This is a winnable game for the Lakers. And I don't know what what are some of the main things that you're looking at as we get into that matchup, or big questions that you think we should have thinking through, like how these teams match up, or you know, if the Lakers will win. Well, it's it's Halliburton, Halliburton, Halliburton. That guy is one of the most fun players in the league right now. He's also one of the most efficient, Tim. I saw, I I forget the details of the stat, but nobody had ever put up more than three games with 15 assists and no turnovers. And I think Hal Barton's already done it three times. And we're December in the first week. Wow. It was like, I think it was like John Stockton and Steve Nash. And this guy is also, you know, making three, like it's if Steve Nash took, you know, eight threes a game and was scoring 30 points while dishing out and setting his teammates up for, 
you know, these great shots. They play fast, but ultimately it's Halliburton, right? I'm I'm slightly concerned about the Miles Turner piece of it, the pick and popping, you know, pulling AD away from the rim and the spacing that they can put out there. Playing fast, turning teams over. They don't turn the ball over as much, but so Lakers gotta keep their their keep the ball in their hands, get a good shot, you know, not allow offensive rebounds and extra possessions. But more importantly, they gotta contain Tyrese Halliburton in the pick and roll and figure out what kind of coverage works best with, you know, he's gonna kill you if you if you go you can't go under it anymore. He's he's killing you on those pull-ups. And if you tag him, he's going to find the guy in the corner and all these different elements. Like he's really forcing defenses into places they don't want to be as the offensive player. And he's just so dynamic with how he can score in the mid range and um, hit guys that, you know, uh, but like p- beautiful needle threading pocket passes and just more importantly, just push that pace. I, I don't know how the Lakers defend him. I'm hoping you can give me some ideas because it's been a struggle for me figuring out how. Yeah, no, they're a really good offense. They're they're the number one offensive efficiency team in the league so far. Ball screens have been a huge part of that. They run a ton of them, and they are very, very good at that. If you hurt this ball screen offense, if you can just slow it down and make it just, – just bring it back to earth, that's probably all it's going to take for the Lakers to have a really good shot to win this game. Just because of how poor Indiana's defense is, you just need their offense to not be – best in the league, top five in the league caliber in this individual game. And looking at slowing Halliburton down in, in researching him, I realized just how pick and roll dependent his impact, his scoring and his passing have been about 70% of his assists this season have come in ball screens. And if you look at how, where his scoring is coming from, it's a ton of ball screens. He is not someone that's isolating much at all. He's not someone that off ball is, is really pressuring you off screens or doing much off of handoffs is like if you can slow the pick and roll down this machine of an offense becomes more mortal and that's that's what we're looking for we're not looking to like solve them or have the perfect fix but it's going to be about picking the best of the available options and thankfully from from what i'm seeing you know as you mentioned you can't go under you also don't want to be in situations where you're, you're giving up an extended like 4v3 because he makes those reads as well as anybody does and Rick Carlisle does, uh, you know, such a good job at making it so instead of it's a, uh, of it being a four v three read, he needs to read. It's usually a two v one that he's looking for. They they align themselves and run plays such that he is looking at one defender and he's picking where that guy ain't, and they're getting a good look off of it. So if you're going to put two on the ball, it has to be like a hard hedge or a trap, and that's had success against his ball screen so far this season on on low volume. Something that has worked really well and on much higher volume has been switching. And you can do switching a lot of different ways, but switching against this offense turns that, you know, it, it kind of forces their hand. They, they have a couple things they go to against it. They're going to look to post up Turner. They're going to look to, you know, use those step up ball screens, get inside position for lobs or seals for layups or dunks. So they're roll man. So if you can switch and then get inside position on the roller, you take away the number one option that they go to in these situations. And if you can be smart with your off-ball defense about rotating to take away any maybe small advantage they have rolling, 
and you know playing up playing tight one pass away so that Halliburton can't make the just kind of the pass to change the angle so that the guy who's catching the pass has the better angle to feed Turner that is another key thing for me so you know the help defense getting underneath the the roller playing up tight one pass away ball ball side those are little things that can make a big difference against an offense that can be you know, can look unstoppable, but in the games where they've played teams that have done this hasn't quite looked as, as crisp. And the other thing that you can look at is because they are a team that is so frequently calling out a play to attack what you're doing. If you change up what you're doing frequently, sometimes they're going to call the wrong play. And if they think you're going to be switching and you're actually in drop or you're actually hard edging all of a sudden they're, you know, Halliburton's trying to read the wrong defender and he's making the wrong pass. And we've seen the, the free throw rate go down, the turnover rate go up in those situations and those games where teams are switching up coverages more and just switching in general has lowered their, their shot quality. It's raised the turnover rate. It has dropped their free throw rate. So those are the two things, switching and some hedging and then mixing them up that I would be looking for the Lakers to utilize. And I think they've got the roster for it. You've got, you know, now that you've got guys like, like Reddish and Vando and Rui and LeBron and AD and Max and Wood and Hayes, you've got big bodies you can be switching and still have length. Other teams that have tried to switch against them, some of them have, it's worked well. Some of them, it hasn't worked well because they're giving up, you know, post mismatches and not sending help. Or they are like, they just don't have the right personnel to switch, but the Lakers are equipped to do it well. Hopefully they are able to, to execute, but I see this as, low-hanging fruit they should see this in their scouting and if they do it again i'm not saying you're going to turn indiana into a bad offense but if you can turn them into a more mortal offense you're going to set yourself up with with much more of a chance to win the game. we'll see it's going to be tough the lakers scheme i think is going to continue to be you know meeting them up high mm-hmm. playing a goal. so we'll see he's he's pretty good at being able to dribble out some of those switches and the the Pacers have been shooting the ball really well as a team. They're they're first in the league in two point percentage, which I think comes a lot from them being able to play so fast, get a lot of good transition looks. Um, but they're also sixth in non heat three point percentage. So they have good shooting. They're able to space the floor at, at every position in their starting lineup. And that spacing, being able to pull AD out, take him away. He was so disruptive last night against the Pelicans because. He was not respecting that JV corner three. He was playing free safety, helping, you know, being able to muck up that whole painted area from baseline to baseline. And the Pacers are not going to be so easy to ignore uh, Miles mm-hmm. and, um, and the rest of their shooters. So I've got something to say about that because I agree. Like they have been in a phenomenal three point shooting team. When I look at how they're getting those shots, I I see some synergy with what I would like the Lakers to be doing with with this switching. Like, okay, in transition, uh, Indy has shot forty percent on their threes, and they've taken tra- one hundred and fifty four transition threes. Wow. That is the second like highest shot uh, you know situation for them in terms of generating three point attempts. And when we compare them. With other teams in the NBA, they are they rank first in the NBA in, in transition threes made per game. So that you know that's more about take care of the ball offensively, run back on defense. Like that that's more on the Lakers' transition defense and and offense to take care of. In the half court, 
Indiana's shooting 34% on spot-up threes. They've got a guy in Obi Toppin whose three-point shot-making grades throughout his career have been F, F, D minus, and F this season. That's someone that, you know, if you if you want to take AD off of Miles Turner and stick him on a worse three-point shooter that's still a big man, that could be an option. Mm-hmm. This season, you know, Miles Turner over the past five years has had F, F, D minus, A minus, and F three-point shot-making grades. So he's... He's gotten good quality. He's hitting them enough that he's a stretch big, but it's not like we're leaving Carl Anthony Towns alone in a way that like, right. gosh, you just can't do it. So and I, will, he, will he take 10 of them? I doubt probably it. not. Yeah, right. that's the thing right. is probably not, but but he still will take pick and pop threes. And and the, uh, the Pacers are 49% on those so far this season, which is higher than they will be. They're 46% on their pick and roll threes, which... If you're at the level of the screen as the Lakers will be, will not be an option. And so this isn't a team that's running off screen action much at all. Like handoffs for them aren't something that they're doing well or all that often. If you can defend in transition and then in in the half court, take away the, the pop and ball handler threes by switching, you're not in a bad spot. And and there are guys on this roster that I think you can sag off of and make calculated decisions. I know top and shooting a good percentage right now this year, but I don't I don't fully trust that that first ranking three point percentage. Right. And if you're gonna find, you know, this is you're you're in a tough enough spot as a defense that you need to take risks and you need to you know, like choose if we're gonna lose, this is how we're gonna lose. And I wouldn't be surprised if if they you know decide to if. AD's trying to be pulled away from the rim because of Turner. They go stick him on somebody else or just let Turner stick out there by himself. And then you get, you know, a lightly contested three and he's probably not going to shoot 10 of them in a game. Yeah. They're, they're sixth in non heave threes, but they're first in two point field goal percentage. Mm, Gotcha. Yeah. Um, Miles Turner, he has taken, he went two for eight against Milwaukee, two for six, Boston, one for four, Miami, oh, five, Miami, well, oh, for three, Portland. Like he first couple games of the season, he, you know, he hit four threes, uh, in, in a couple games, but usually he's not like, he's averaging so far this season, like one and a half made threes a game, four and a half attempts and he's shooting 32%. And in the past few years, you know, I don't know. He, he's a spacer, but not to the extent that I'm unwilling to dare him to take those shots. I mean, it doesn't even seem like a question of way based on the other coverages and Halliburton. I'm assuming he's he's able to cook up in in different ways. But if you're able to stop him, keep him out of the the paint, you know, the help doesn't have to come. You don't have to rotate down to get other good shooters like Buddy Heald, who is a great shooter, right? <laughs> uh, good looks. And so it all kind of becomes a domino where Miles Turner is probably going to take eight threes tomorrow night. Like he's going to be shooting a lot because of the coverages because Halliburton's going to make the right play. And because he's, he's going to have to shoot those. That's not going to kill you consistently in the same way that being able to get Tyrese Halliburton downhill with a guy helping down is going to, you know, the, the <laughs> getting the guys, the looks that they want is is a lot worse option than Miles Turner jacking up 10 threes a game. Yep. I'm I'm with you. And this is an offense that doesn't like to isolate. They don't post up a ton. Like if you can play switchy defense and then ask them to do stuff they don't usually do day to day, 
they might be less crisp with those with those areas. It doesn't make you invulnerable, but it at least changes the kind of the rules of the game and and forces the Pacers to win unconventionally, which they're still a very good offense. They very well may still win, but if you're picking a way to lose, I would rather pick that way to lose. So really quick, I guess wrapping this up, what do you see for the individual matchups? Uh, you put Cam on him at the point of attack, give him a little bit more size. Yeah, that's what I would be doing. I, I think you play D'Lo on healed, Prince on Bruce Brown, LeBron on Toppin, and AD on Turner. And if you really wanted to, you can flip those last two, but I think that's the way I would start. But having Reddish on Halliburton to start, I think makes a lot of sense. And then off the bench, if and when he's in the game, and I'll pull up uh, right now the their rotation map. Oh, wait, I already have it pulled. Uh, yeah, Halliburton will usually play the all of or almost all of the first and the third quarter. So he sits at the, the beginning of the second and the fourth. So if you've got Vando out there with the bench unit, he's going to get Tyrese Halliburton time at the beginning of his stints towards the end of the first and the third quarters. And I have no problem with Vando at the point of attack on Halliburton, understanding that I want to be switching or if I'm hedging, that means the screen navigation is, you know, less, less important or less on display. So I think this would be a great game for Vando to have a defensive impact against Tyrese Halliburton. And if the Lakers are in drop coverage, <laughs> throughout everything I've said, uh, I don't expect the Lakers to win the game or do well in, in pick and roll defense. Um, but if they're doing what I'm thinking they'll do, and I think they should do, you know, you're, you're going to have a good opportunity for Cam or Vando on Halliburton pretty much the entirety of the game, which I like. Okay. I like it. We'll see. It's going to be a good one. I mean, they're a fun team. They're going to be fast. They don't play a lot of defense. So, it's, it, you know, Lakers going to be not able to shoot themselves in the foot. They get the ball up after misses, um, get the cross matches going. They're, you know, yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly confident, but with a guy like Halliburton, there's nothing stopping him from get, dropping 30 and 15 on you with no turnovers and, insane efficiency it's like it's like how we played sga the other night like those guys can definitely definitely give uh the lakers a lot of trouble oh yeah yeah especially if they're able to push quickly and create some of those cross matchups like he he's a good enough player that he can find ways to impact the game and put numbers up and it's it's going to be about if the lakers offense is also good you just need to do enough defensively to to give yourselves that edge and uh, an element, I guess, of the transition defense and the cross matchups with our Laker bench unit is if you do have a lot of those like similarly sized guys out there, you're not as worried about like, oh, no, like D'Lo's guarding Miles Turner or something like that. Like you've got, you know, Vando and and Christie and LeBron and Rui and Wood out there or Hayes out there together. And you don't really mind whoever's matched up on, on whoever because they're all larger bodies and, and you can still be disruptive and that's an element of the pacer offense, just pushing quickly, creating mismatches just immediately because the defense is scrambling that at least against the Laker bench units, I don't think will be as big a factor as it has been for Indy facing most other teams. Yeah. It looks like most, most places have Lakers about three and a half minus four around there on the odds. So on a neutral court, that's, that's a decent line for, for this team. Um, I think coming off considering where these two teams are matched up right now and look indiana's a bunch of hype going right now they're 12 and 8 they're right in the same 
places the Lakers with, as you mentioned, a lot easier of a schedule so far. So Halliburton's fun. It's great. They're they're a good team, and I, I think they'll definitely be in the playoff mix. But yeah, I put it in some context. It's not like the Pacers are, you know, coming to this game far and away favored. They're going to be, you know, right in line, I think, with the, the Suns games as far as difficulty in different ways. But I think even the Suns were what? Minus, minus or plus one and a half. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's going to be a great matchup. It's going to be a fun game, kind of competing, clashing styles. But the Lakers have been one of the better defenses in the league, you know, as of recently, especially since Vando came back. And yeah, it's a little, it's pretty noisy because they're small sample size, but they have materially improved on defense. And this will be a great test for them to to continue to push themselves and to see where they can develop their scheme even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a good benchmark game for the team. And if they can win this one, you've got Dallas on the second night of a back to back. You've got the Spurs twice in a row. You know, you can keep this thing rolling. And then you've, you've, you know, the schedule ramps up in difficulty towards the end of December. But if you can get through this game, win this, and then be strong through the rest of this month, we will then be talking about Lakers title contender. And that'll be more of a a national storyline. So this is a big opportunity for the team. It starts with this game tomorrow, getting some momentum. We will be there for the game to call it with y'all. Uh, over at playback.tv slash Lakers watch party. They have recently added a nice feature where if you aren't able to see the screen with us, cause you don't have the right login credentials, you will still be able to see a game cast like time and score so that you can sync up on your end with us. And I think that'll improve the, the viewer experience for those who can't watch. And then those who are watching are, are seeing, you know, what we're seeing as we're watching it. And even if not, you know, during the TV timeouts or before the game, after the game, drawing stuff up on, on the whiteboard is always a good time. So Definitely join us for that. It'll it'll be a blast. These have been some really fun games, meaningful games in you know early season, which has been great to see. And uh, you know, I'm I'm ready for another one, Tom. Same. Let's get this NBA Cup and I'll leave Vegas as winners. It's been a fun one. For those of you on playback, stick around. We're going to record our bonus pod here in a moment. For those of you listening, we appreciate you. If you want to get in our Discord, screenshot that you are subscribed to the lakers exceptionalism youtube send that to myself tim or the pod account and we'll get you in Uh, we appreciate you all so much and uh, we will talk to you all next time class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.